Welcome to the Columbia Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We're so excited to share this weekend's message with you from Dr. Jim Baucom, our senior pastor. We hope it encourages you, inspires you, and helps you grow in your faith as a whole life disciple. Now, enjoy the message. Okay, Columbia, I've been trying to figure out for six weeks now why this bumper feels so strange to me. So, you know, I, I, I haven't been able to put my fingers on it until I was thinking about it this past week, and it's the ominous music. It's that, it's that something's about to happen music, I suppose. And, and, and I think when I think of breakthroughs, I think of something exciting. I think of something that is amazing, something that just catapults me into a new place that takes me by surprise. And so when I first saw this, I think I, think I thought, nah, I don't think this is in the rhythm of the messages I'm preaching. But what I'm realizing as we approach Holy Week and as we come to Palm Sunday today is that that bumper sets precisely the mood because as I've been saying, it is impossible to have a breakthrough without some sort of a breakdown. There has to be a problem to solve and a problem we've worked for a long time time to solve, to get to some place of, of new significance, some place of, of new meaning in our lives. Now, the language I've been using is common language. It's not biblical language precisely, but I think it does talk about a biblical phenomenon, and that is the word breakthrough, which means a sudden increase in knowledge or understanding or, or the like, an important discovery that happens after trying for a long time to try to understand and to try to explain something. We have to be struggling for a period of time with, with something that, that really is a burden, if you will, in order to experience what we call breakthrough. Now, I'm going to grant you that what makes this sermon series possible and the reason we talk and think this way is the way that we tell stories. And human beings are narrative manufacturers. That's what we are. We think in story. We tell stories. We write stories. We read stories. We love stories. We are stories. I mean, stories are are the arc of our lives. So I want us to think about the narrative arc of our existences today uh, and how we write our stories. I don't know if you love to read as much as I do. Uh, A lot of people, I think, have shifted to other media. Some people love movies. Uh, Some people listen to podcasts. I think podcasts have become, for some people, the new reading. Uh, That doesn't supplant a good book for me. And, And a good book... It always has a narrative arc that captures me, even if, it's, even if it's nonfiction, but especially if it's fiction. But even nonfiction, there has to be some sort of a plot twist, some problem to be solved, some intransigent thing that gets moved in the course of the story. And I would suggest to you that you will tell your story the same way. Now, not all of you. I will grant you this. There are a few people that if I ask them, and I ask this often, I've probably asked many of you, tell me your story. And if I ask you to tell your story, some of you will just give me the facts. There are only a few of you who will do this, but I'll just tell you this isn't a good way to tell a story. Well, I was born in, in 1987, and I, you, know, you go on and on with the, the basic details and the facts. And if you do that, I will almost always say, yes, but what is your story? Tell me your story, and then you'll get down to the meat of the issue. And you won't tell me every little detail, because not every little detail matters. It probably doesn't, though it it could, I suppose, matter what you had for breakfast this morning, or even if you had breakfast this morning. 
You're probably not going to include that in your story. You won't tell me how you got from point A to point B. You'll not tell me every street you turned on. You'll tell me the destination. You will tell me the big breakthroughs of your life. And you will probably tell me also a couple of the breakdowns of your life. The times you were significantly challenged, you couldn't solve a problem, and then there was this flashpoint, this moment where you just leapt forward, and, and those breakthroughs really do define the arc of our stories. They define our lives. Now, I've been saying this, and this is important, and it's especially important regarding this sermon today. Our everyday plotting whole life discipleship, everyday faithfulness is of imminent importance. Because everyday faithfulness is the launch pad from which breakthroughs rocket. It is the launch pad from which everything soars into orbit. It's, it's where everything begins. So we pave the road to breakthrough with our everyday faithfulness. Just little things, little changes, little moves, little decisions, little, little cross points in our lives that won't be included in our story. But they are core to our story. They're foundational. It's the breakthroughs that define the arc of the story. Now listen, friends, God has given you free agency. (coughs) I don't know what that means to you, and I don't know if you even think about it. But what it means to me, among other things, is that God has given me a certain level of agency to write my own story. And I am constantly writing my story as I go. How I write that story, what I include in that story, what I consider important is going to determine who I become because we live into our stories. But when I became a follower of Jesus, when I gave my life to Him, when I accepted His cross and His resurrection as my own, I began to write a very different story. And that story had an arc and a pattern that was long established and given to me by God, given in Scripture, given in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And I began to write my story into God's big story. And that changed the way I told my story. It changed the way I saw my story. It meant that breakdowns were always, always, always precursors to breakthroughs in the way that God works. And that will be true when I draw my last breath, which I can assure you will feel like a breakdown to many people around me. But will, the Bible tells me, I believe and understand be the greatest breakthrough of my entire life. It will be my breakthrough to heaven, a new resurrection body, and a waiting for a new heaven and a new earth and the resurrection of the dead. So my final breakthrough will follow the pattern of the cross and the empty tomb. But everything between now and then, whenever that happens will follow that arc or that pattern too. Let's think about this by thinking about breakthroughs. Now, historically, we can talk about a number of breakthroughs that are of great significance. Not every invention is a breakthrough, okay? But every breakthrough involves creativity. It involves somebody thinking carefully about how to solve a problem and rewrite the story. And in this case, I mean that quite literally. So one of the things you'll surely study if you study global history is the printing press. And the one you'll talk about is the Gutenberg press. It's kind of interesting because I'm going to tell you, kind of like the Wright brothers flying the plane, there were a lot of people working on printing presses right at the moment that Gutenberg used his movable type and discovered his press. The reason is because there had been other breakthroughs. 
Breakthroughs in the way machinery operated and worked and the way we used instruments that made this breakthrough possible. So really, we can talk about this as one of a series of breakthroughs, but please rest assured, the printing press changed everything in 1440 when Gutenberg invented it along, really honestly, with others in Mainz, Germany. The world you live in, in many ways, was shaped by the printing press. Now, now why is that? Because it made possible the mass distribution of ideas, the mass distribution of of literature that was written by human beings who were offering new thoughts and new understandings. And ideas build on each other. So we read something, we build on that, we write something, we read something, we're constantly adding to the literature of the story. If you want to see this and how it works, I would suggest you take a trip down to the Bible Museum. It's amazing. That's in Washington, D.C., right in our backyard. We've gone lots of times. It's a fascinating place. And one of the huge exhibits there is of Gutenberg's printing press. It's in operation, and they'll show you exactly how it works, how it functions. It's fun to do. You can print your own page. But the printing press really did change everything. Now, the question is, just for you historians, what problem was Gutenberg trying to solve when he came up with the notion, the idea, the concept, and the reality of his printing press? Do you know? I just gave you a hint. He was trying to print the Bible. That's what he wanted to distribute. In fact, we call his Bible the Gutenberg Bible. He wanted to mass distribute the Word of God. Now listen, that printing of the Bible changed everything. I mean everything in the way we understand religion. You would not have had a Protestant Reformation were it not for the printing press. You wouldn't have had the 30-year war were it not for the printing press. You wouldn't have had the deconstruction of the world as we would have known it before the press without the printing press. After it, everything was changed. When these ideas started to be distributed, you wouldn't have what we call the Enlightenment, were it not for the printing press. The printing press was a major breakthrough, a way to solve one problem that had lots of unintended consequences. It opened a massive door, and literally, this invention, if you will, this breakthrough deconstructed the world. This is why you've got 10 copies of the Bible on your shelf at home. I hope you read them. Many of you don't but you've got one. I will tell you it is uber important that you know your Bible backward and forward because the opportunity has been given to you. And listen, I love it and I think it's really important when you bring your Bible to worship and actually open it to the passage that I'm reading so you can see what surrounds it. But I must tell you that those people who say that you're not worshiping unless you bring your Bible to worship don't have much of a clue about Christian history because somehow people worship for 1,500 of 2,022 years without physical copies of the Bible in their hands or in their homes. They had them in their minds and in their hearts. The Word of God is living and active. It is more powerful than a printed page. But what a miracle, I think you'll say that we have the Bible on the printed page and can read it in so many forms and fashions and can understand it the way that we can. The printing press changed the arc of history. 
Now, a lot of people are talking about the internet now, and the internet's relatively recent. Most people trace its birth to 1983 to a, a system designed by the Defense Department to connect systems. And that 1983, I know some of you think it was, but humor me here, it's not that long ago. It's just not that long ago. But our world is being deconstructed again. And one of the big reasons that the world is being deconstructed as we know it, that is, society is being deconstructed, is because of the internet. And we don't have enough distance yet to talk about it accurately, but someday we will look back on the internet the way we look now at the printing press. And we'll talk about wars that were caused by the internet, battles that were caused by the internet, things that were undone by the internet, and a world that in some way, shape, or form was refashioned. There's a breakthrough, and it's not small, it's huge, and you're living through it. Think about that. Those people who lived through that period right after the printing press lived in a very unstable world largely created by that press, and you are living in an unstable world largely created by the dissemination of ideas right, wrong, and indifferent, all sorts of ideas that are out there now. You're living in that deconstructed, rapidly shifting, changing world. In fact, I will tell you whether you like it or not, because you don't get to choose, you're living in one of the great breakthroughs of all human history. It'll take time for us to figure out what it means. Now, your life is defined by breakthroughs. And what we want to learn to do is not just to see them in retrospect. A lot of people walk through life as though they are reading their story, as though their story is happening to them, as though they are hapless victims, as though breakdowns are something that define them. And those people are making an enormous mistake biblically because the Bible teaches us always to look past the cross to the resurrection, or should I say to walk through the cross to the resurrection. And that's what Palm Sunday is all about. Palm Sunday was not a parade. It was a parody. Palm Sunday was not a journey to a coronation. It was a journey to the cross. Yes, there was the coronation of the resurrection, but Palm Sunday is about the cross and people's inability to understand what it meant to take up their crosses and follow Jesus, what it meant to hail a spiritual Messiah, not an earthly ruler. Without problems, to solve. There are no breakthroughs. In fact, let me just tell you this. I, I, I think this is true. I, I will take arguments to the contrary if you'd like, but I would suggest to you that life really has no meaning if there are no problems to solve, that there is no significance at all if there is no problem to solve at all, that a lot of the meaning of our lives comes through breakthrough because it comes through our intransigent problems, these things we can't seem to wrap our hands around, the breakdowns of our lives that lead to breakouts in our lives and breakthroughs in our existence. Can we learn to be grateful for the problems? It's hard. Can we learn to be thankful for the things that must be solved? I think we can. Now, Ephesians is all about aligning our life story with timeless values. In fact, it is about learning to recognize, I think, breakthrough in prospect. 
Not even to just see it as it happens or understand it as it happens, but to pray for it, anticipate it, expect it, and embrace it when it comes. To pray that God would lead us to a new place constantly until finally we're led to that ultimate new place. To follow the pattern of cross and resurrection in our everyday lives. And that's exactly what I'm preaching and teaching about. Now let's think about the Apostle Paul for a moment. How can he write a book like Ephesians that sets the pattern of life's story, that offers these timeless, eternal values? How can he do that and in the same breath give thanks for the difficulties of his life? It is because of his personal experience. Paul famously writes, as you know, in Romans 8, 28, and I I think this is a verse that begs to be unraveled and understood better. He writes, we know that in all things, in all things, not through all things, in all things, not because of all things, in the midst of all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Do you love him? Are you called according to his purpose? then your core foundational statement of conviction and belief is that God is working in all things and you can trust him for that. It is also that you are partnering with him in working in all things. That is your core convictional belief and it will sustain you when times are difficult and when your life breaks down because your life will break down and so will mine. You know, Paul's a good one to tell this story. Just think about it. Here's a man whose educational credentials were almost unparalleled in his day. There were some, but not many, and especially in religious circles who had his kind of background and education. He sat at the feet of the best and the brightest philosophers and theologians, which is remarkable. He rose to the top of his field, the very pinnacle. He became a Pharisee among Pharisees. He was someone who in his nation, in his time, and in his place would have been seen as uber successful. He would have been relatively wealthy, well-to-do. He would have been comfortable in his existence. He had it all. And then one day he was walking on the road to Damascus and he was stricken down in the middle of the road. And he could have interpreted that event in two ways. Let's face it. He could have focused on the breakdown because it was a breakdown. He couldn't see. He couldn't think. He was ill He was sick. He had to be taken to someone's home and cared for. The person whose home he was carried to helped him to see that this was not a breakdown, but a spiritual breakthrough. Or should I say that the breakdown was on the roadway, figuratively and literally, to the greatest breakthrough of his life. And from that point forward, his effort, his mission, his ministry, his love was to love Christ and to make him known among all people. This changed everything to him. I can assure you that the people who'd been in Paul's circle spoke of him as a flame out, a flop. I can promise you that people persecuted him and ridiculed him in ways that are different than we think of. They, they talked about what a loser he was, how he'd given it all up, thrown it all away. Everybody probably sounded like your mom who says, how are you using that education I paid for? But Paul was no flame out. 
He was on fire with the love of Jesus Christ, and it changed everything for him. It became the guiding principle, the core conviction of his life. But that's not all. Paul had something going on, probably many somethings, but there's one he tells us about. In Corinthians, as he writes to the Corinthians, he tells them, listen, uh, listen, friends, I have this quote-unquote thorn in the flesh. If you want to get a good discussion going among New Testament scholars, ask them what the thorn in the flesh is. There are more theories on that than there are types of thorns in natural plants in the world. But I kind of think it was some sort of an illness. I wonder if the illness might have been connection to what happened to him on the road to Damascus. Because I believe that God uses such circumstances to accomplish breakthrough in our lives. We're always looking for the miracle, but sometimes we should be looking for the way the Holy Spirit puts the super in natural. What happens in our everyday existences is something that God knows about and something God uses in a powerful way. I'm not sure He always causes, but He always uses. That's the way we need to understand our lives as we walk through them and are writing our stories. Paul prayed to God over and over and over again, please remove this thorn in my flesh. All of you have a thorn you're praying that would be removed, but it might not be. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a relationship problem. Maybe it is some insecurity within yourself. Maybe I don't know what it is, but there is something in your life that you have prayed time and again that God would remove, and for whatever reason, He has not, and He might not. And the reason He might not is because the way He intends to use that breakpoint, that breakdown in your life is to get you to a different place of breakthrough. Ultimately, remember, He is getting you to heaven. He is getting you to a new heaven and a new earth. You're not going to live forever no matter what you do in mortal flesh, but you will live forever in the gospel of Jesus Christ, in the Word of God. You will live forever in that sense. And so, and so God is trying to take you always to a different place, a, a new place, a, a place of ultimate, total, complete breakthrough. Paul prayed this thing would be removed, and it was not, which led him to write in 2 Corinthians, but the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My love, my forgiveness, my deliverance, my breakthrough from death to life is significant enough that it is sufficient for you. Just say with me, God's grace is sufficient for me. Just listen to yourself say it. Say, God's grace is sufficient for me. Say it again with conviction. God's grace is sufficient for me. It is enough. It is all you truly need eternally. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul writes, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that, friends, is a spiritual breakthrough. Right there, that's a breakthrough that he recognizes that some problems can't be solved in the flesh. There's some things that he can't take care of in his own power, and there's some things that God is not going to remove from him. And his learning that God is working in and through those things and is more powerful than those things and is accomplishing breakthrough in his life through those breakdowns, that is a tremendous spiritual breakthrough in Paul's life, maybe the one that most defines him. See, no matter how well you write your story, and some of you do it very well, 
no matter how well you write, there are some things that are going to elude your control. Those things remind you, you know, things like losing people you love, like medical diagnoses that throw you for a loop, like your life not going completely as planned, like losing a job or no longer loving your career, things like a sick child, which I've experienced, or a sick spouse, which I've also experienced. All these things, all these things that you, that you encompass in your life, these things you can't control, remind you that the greatest breakthroughs are eternal. They remind you not to put your stock and trade in mortality in the world, in the flesh, as we'll discover in a moment. They remind you that the breakthroughs you're seeking are actually breakthroughs to eternity, breakthroughs from death to life. Paul then was able to speak about this in a different way. For Christ's sake, I will delight in insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I break down, what? I break through. Now listen, how are you going to tell your story? You decide. You decide. You can either tell it as a series of breakdowns or you can tell it as a series of things that led to breakthroughs. You're going to decide how you write this story and you're going to learn to anticipate when you're in a moment of breakdown some great breakthrough that God is seeking to bring you to. And you're praying for that between now and Easter because I asked you to and I know all of you do exactly what I ask you to do. Let me give you a couple of examples. These are people I've asked if I could share. There is a young woman in our church who is praying for a breakthrough in her career. Heretofore, to this point, her career has brought her tremendous meaning. She was well prepared for it. She's good at it. It is something that she has found significance in. But of late, a series of things have happened to pull the career rug out from under her, and she suddenly finds that what she is doing is is not only meaningless, it is destructive and toxic in her life. She's praying for a breakthrough. And here's the important thing, because I listen carefully as people tell me their stories. She is putting all the cards on the table. She is saying, I no longer care about security like I once did. I no longer care about significance like I thought I did. I no longer care about position like I once did. I am unconcerned about those things. I'm just praying that God will show me what he wants to do with the rest of my career. And she's young enough to have a significant period of career left ahead of her. Now listen, career can't bring ultimate meaning to your life. But the God of love means to give you significance in the place where you work day in and day out. You spend more time there than you do any other place in your life. She's praying for a breakthrough, and I will promise you she will see it. It might not be by Easter, but it will happen. Why will she see it? Because she has put all the cards on the table. That's why. Because she has said, I will give up whatever it takes to get this significance that I believe God is seeking for me. She may find it where she already is. She may find it in a related place. And she might find it in something completely different. But she will get the breakthrough because she's put it all out there. She's willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to get to that place. 
compare and contrast that in some ways with a couple in our church that is seeking breakthrough. They've struggled in their marriage since the very beginning, honestly, but of late it's become worse. They've struggled in such a way that they've hit the point of breakdown. They're ready to give up. They're at a breaking point. They're at a point they can't deal with, they can't tolerate, they can't handle. So they called me and said, I just want you to pray with us for this breakthrough. I asked them, can I share everything that I say to you? They said, yes. The problem is they're finding it difficult to put all the cards on the table. They will, I believe, I trust, but they're finding it tough to do because heretofore, these two people have both been persons that told their story as though it were being read to them, as though it were happening to them. They have seen life as something that others have done to them. They've seen themselves as hapless victims in some way, and they know that. It's something they're wrestling with. And they've seen their marriage as something that has been foreordained, pre-written, and that is being read to them like a riot act, not something that they are choosing to create. But they're at a breaking point, and because they're at a breaking point, I think they will get to a place where they put the cards on the table and they gain breakthrough because that's what God wants for them. It's what God desires for them. Someday their story will change. Now let's jump into the main Scripture passage, and this won't take all that long. It's pretty simple. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 tell the big paradigm of God's story. Once we're writing our stories into God's story, this becomes the outline or the pattern of the stories we're writing. And verses 1 through 5 start with the cross, while verses 6 through 10 move to the resurrection. So I'm preparing you for next week. We can't get to the resurrection without the cross. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, as for you and your story, Paul says, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also used to live among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, let me note a couple of things here very quickly. First of all, I like the way Paul tells this story, and I want you to learn to tell your story this way too. I love that he says, you used to live like this, but you don't anymore. Let me suggest to you that used to become a part of the way you tell your story. When people talk to me about sin, they act like it has power over them that they can't conquer, even with the help of the Holy Spirit. I am this or I am that. Paul knows that people become what you tell them they are, not what you tell them they should be. So he says, look, you used to be like this, but now you are no more. This is really helpful to me. I'll tell you, for example, this is an example for me. I used to be pretty insecure. Maybe not in comparison to all people, but in comparison to what Christ had for me. Something I struggled with for years, and sometimes I still do. And sometimes what would happen, not often, but sometimes out of that insecurity, I would lash out in anger at someone and hurt a relationship. I used to do that. I don't do it anymore. Now, I'm not saying never, okay? 
I do fall off the wagon once in a blue moon, but it almost never happens. Ask my wife. She'll tell you the truth. I don't do that anymore. God has given me a different kind of security, and it's a gift. And that security has come from breakthroughs in my life that came from breakdowns. And as a result of that, I used to be that person, but now I'm not. Now I'm a person who treats people with dignity, respect, and love in almost every situation. I'm not flawless, but I've come a long way. By the grace of God, I am not who I used to be. And by the love of God, I am not who I will be. I'm telling you right now, this breakthrough in my life changed a great deal. And the reason is because I used used to be like that, but not anymore. Can you guys get into this habit for me? If you're that couple working on that marriage problem, we used to magnify each other's weaknesses, but now we magnify each other's strengths. Start telling that story even before you live into it. We used to be polar opposites, but now we're polar complements. Start telling that story and live into it. Or if you're that young woman, I used to be someone who sought all my meaning through work. Now I've discovered that God wants to use my work in a different way. That's a breakthrough. That's a breakthrough. And God has hundreds of them for you in your life. If you will pray for them, anticipate them, seek them, embrace them, enjoy them, experience them, they will define your story, the arc of your story. Note also that Paul says that we were gratifying the desires or cravings of our flesh, following the desires of the flesh and its thoughts. I need to tell you, a lot of people misinterpret this to say the body is evil. That's not true. God did not create needs that are evil. It is only the way we misuse them, the ways we meet them by making an idol of the world that is evil. The problem for Paul is twofold. The first is that we use things in the world other than God intended for them to be used. And the second is that we seek to meet ultimate spiritual needs with physical things. So, for example, a person who is very lonely and afraid will resort to video gaming all the time or sports watching all the time or pornography or, or whatever. They're not looking at the deeper need. They're not taking the ax to the root. They're just trying to crush the fruit, and that never, ever works. Or a couple that is discontented, buys a new house, has another child, whatever. Or parents who are discontented with their lot in life, push their children into every possible extracurricular, only to discover their children will fail just like they do and succeed just like they do, and they will find no joy in living vicariously through their children. They'll ruin themselves and their children. When we misuse impropriety, the things that God has given, and misunderstand the needs that God has given to us. If our hunger leads us to overeat and our thirst leads us to overdrink, if those things happen, we make idols of the world itself and we forget the spiritual breakthrough that God really has for us. No, that's not what Paul's talking about here. The word he uses is a form of the Greek word sarks, and while it can mean body, that's usually not what it means, and it's definitely not the way that Paul uses it. It means materiality or human nature. So what Paul says is, look, the world has taught you you can be happy if you get this set of things. I'm telling you, you will never be happy until you write your story into God's story. I'm telling you, you will never find significance and meaning until you write your story into the story of Jesus' death and his resurrection. Breakdown, breakthrough in the spiritual sense of the word. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, Paul continues, 
made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Now, you're going to be tempted to say, look, if it's God's grace, then there's nothing I have to do. I just need to lie around like a slug and let it happen to me. It's no longer up to me to write my story, and that is partially true. You are now writing your story with the help of the Holy Spirit and the help of God. But God has given you this free agency to write your story and to tell your story as a series of spiritual breakthroughs leading to the ultimate movement to a new heaven, a new earth. It's resurrection is your story, not death. Resurrection is the ideal, not death. Life is the norm, not death. Resurrection is just the restoration of the life that God wants to give to you. That's your story. That's what Paul says. So what's your job? Well, I got bad news for you. Or is it good news? I can't decide. Your job is to die. Your job is to die. Only God can forgive sins completely. Only God can resurrect dead things to life. Only God can accomplish real eternal breakthrough in you. And only you can decide to die. Only you can decide to die. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, whoever wants to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves. Take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. It's amazing to me how much we want to miss the first part of Jesus' call, deny ourselves. You know, a lot of scholars across the years have called this the mortification of sin or the mortification of human nature, the mortification of the flesh. We don't use that term anymore. We don't like to think about things that need to die. But if you're at a point of breakdown or even approaching one or think you might be, and if you're looking for breakthrough, here's what's going to be necessary to get there. Listen carefully. You're going to have to examine your life, take a look at anything that is out of alignment with what God means for people who are thriving, God's creation, God's glory, God's plan of redemption, and you're going to have to kill it. You're going to have to let it die on the cross. You want breakthrough? This is what it takes. All the cards on the table. See, a lot of people want breakthrough, but they want it on their own terms. They want to define what it's going to mean and how it's going to happen. There is no breakthrough without breakdown. If you want to break out, if you want to break through, you got to break into your own heart, and you got to break down, deconstruct anything that is there that is inconsistent with the love and the power, and the Word of God. Man, is it hard to do. It's hard. This part is hard. But, Paul says, because of His great for love, love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. But God. I'm going to tell you some bad news. Your diagnosis is hopeless. You're going to die. But God, I got bad news for you. Most marriages don't work. But God, I got bad news for you. A lot of people living in singleness are unhappy. But God, I got bad news for you. Most churches become toxic and unhealthy. But God, I got bad news for you. 
The world is ripped and torn with war and sorrow and sadness, but God. Your story has to be a but God story. But God. I used to be this, but now I'm this. I used to be dead, but now I'm alive. I used to be lost, but now I am found. I used to be broken down, but now I'm broken through. I used to be all those things, and I would still be those things, except what? Say it with me. But God. But changes everything in the story. It's the turn. It's the breakthrough. But God made us alive in Christ. Death is the aberration. Life is the norm. There is nothing dead within us that cannot be made new. Absolutely nothing. When you believe that, you're willing to put everything on the table, every card. You're willing to die to yourself in order to experience the resurrection. You're willing to understand breakdowns as nothing but passageways to breakthroughs. I love the way Frederick Buechner says this, and I want you to think carefully about these words. He says, and now, brothers, and now, brothers, I will ask you a terrible question. And God knows I ask it also of myself, is the truth beyond all truths, beyond the stars, just this, that to live without Christ is the real death, that to live with Him is the only life. Friends, as you approach Easter and as you move through the cross today to get to the resurrection, I want you to remember that Jesus broke out so that we could break through. In fact, before He broke out, He broke down. He gave His life on the cross for our complete and full forgiveness. That breakdown was the passageway to break through. It always is in God's economy. And when you are writing your story, the arc of your story, you need to understand this. When you think life has ended, when you think all is gone, when when you think it's broken down, when you think it can't be rescued, when you think it's dead, but God is the breakthrough from death to life. And that's the kind of breakthrough I'm praying for in your life and mine this Easter. I hope that paves the way because I'm going to tell you something. Next week is going to be a blast. In fact, when I get to verses 6 through 10, dare I say it, it's going to be a breakthrough. Father, we thank you for your love and for your concern and for your care. And we acknowledge that but for you we are nothing. And yet there is your grace, there is your love, there is your mercy. We love you with an everlasting love because you love us with an everlasting love. Breakthrough in our lives no matter what that means whether it's the first time we put our faith in Jesus or, or whether it's in our continual walking or whether it's in one of our relationships or, or our career or some part of our lives, Lord, we are praying for breakthrough and we recognize that you use every breakdown. All things really do work for, together for good because you use all things. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. At the risk of going over, and we are going to go over, I'm going to ask Elijah Brown to come up for just a moment, and uh, we'll have to be quick here, Elijah, because I took up so much time. Uh, but Elijah, i got to tell you something really cool. This is what Jesus, I guess, will, will make you do. Um, he just got back from Ukraine, and uh, you know he visited there before the war started. That was one thing, and I admired that. 
But when I heard you went again, Brother Elijah, I said, Lord, what's broken down in that man? He's crazy. (laughs) So uh, you've been in Eastern Europe and Ukraine. Just briefly tell us about the experience. Well, you want to talk about a place that's had so many breakdowns. And yet we want to tell a story that this church is part of a very large movement of Baptists that are having some breakthroughs. It was remarkable. I was able to visit Romania, Moldova, Poland, and Ukraine over the last two weeks. And in every one of those locations, Baptists have been at the forefront of providing humanitarian help and hope in Jesus Christ. It's just been remarkable. In Romania, the very first person who showed up to welcome refugees as they crossed the border on the very first day of the war was a Baptist pastor. In Moldova, in the first 10 days of the war, 70% of all the refugees to Moldova were welcomed by the Baptist church. In Poland, on the border of one of the, the, the refugee locations, border guards are telling those who are crossing over, if you have nowhere else to go, go to the Baptist church because they will help you. Now, this little Baptist church averages about 100 people on a Sunday morning, mm-hmm. but they really stepped out in faith. In fact, they cleared out every one of their pews in the sanctuary so they could give as much space as possible. In the last 30 days, they've hosted over 3,500 refugees. Wow. They've also stepped out and they said, you know what? God wants us to create an a logistics hub, and a nearby businessman said, you can use our, uh, our warehouse for free. In the last 30 days, they've sent over a million U.S. dollars of humanitarian goods, over 300 tons, into Ukraine. And what they do is they send these lorries in, this little church of 100 people, they send these lorries in to churches all across Ukraine who then unload them into their sanctuaries, reload them into their personal vehicles, and drive them into the danger zones. They get shot at, they get attacked, and then they pull refugees out in their personal cars and bring them back out so that they can have a hope tomorrow. Well, that's incredible. Of course, we don't, we don't make an idol of Baptists, but we are part of the church of Jesus Christ globally. And would you say, uh, you know, what should we pray for? I mean, I'm praying that the thorn would be removed, that the yeah. war would be over. But if that's not going to happen, uh, because Satan is still the ruler of this, this uh, present age, if that's not going to happen, can, can we pray that the church would find breakthrough? I mean, this is, this is a part of the world where in, in some cases fewer and fewer people have, have been part of the church. Can we pray that the church would break through in this moment of breakdown? Absolutely. And everywhere we went, people said that they're having spiritual conversations like they've never had them before. Uh, they're offering. It's amazing. I mean, on the one hand, it's, it's, it's challenging. On the other hand, it's incredible Many of these places have run out of Bibles because they've given so many Bibles away to so many people who have spiritual questions. So we ordered last week, we ordered thousands of more Bibles to help people have something that they can give to people. But yes, this is a time to pray that as individuals who are on a journey, uh, that they will have open ears to hear the Holy Spirit calling to them in this Damascus this Damascus moment. And you need to know that, that we are ministering to these refugees and to the people of Ukraine uh, in part and large part through the BWA. 
uh, which uh, Elijah heads. And if you would like to designate an extra offering uh, to that, uh, just simply make it out to Columbia, but right in the bottom and let us know that this is for Ukrainian relief. I promise you it will get there, and I promise you it will get to a local church, not to Elijah's pocket, and it will be really well used. So if that's, many of you have been asking how you can help, this is a way that you can if you'd like to. And Elijah, close just with a quick prayer for the church, would you? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this church which is part of your story, part of a large movement all across Eastern Europe that is bringing help and hope in Jesus Christ even right now. Lord, we thank you that we have an opportunity right here from Washington, D.C., from this metro area to around the world to live for your glory. Lord, we do pray that across Ukraine and across Eastern Europe that there will be churches that experience breakthroughs, yes, for the Baptist church, but not just alone for the Baptists, but for every person who would call on the name of Jesus Christ that they would know your salvation and they would know your hope. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing and for the opportunity we have to say yes in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much, Elijah. We love you. We appreciate you. Go now through the cross to the breakthrough of the resurrection. You go ignite passion for Jesus Christ from Metro Washington to the world. Have a blessed week. We'll see you soon. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Metro D.C. or Northern Virginia area, we would love to worship with you at one of our weekend gatherings. For directions, service times, and information about all the incredible things happening at Columbia, go to columbiabaptist.org. That's columbiabaptist.org.